Well, uh, if you are new here, you have forgotten where we are in the scriptures. We've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount for some time, actually since August. And so we now turn the corner into the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7. And as we do, I think it deserves a little bit of a review uh, if we can get our minds around in, in a concise way, what Jesus has been inviting us into is a new way of living as Christians that want to flourish inside of God's kingdom. And so I think about it like this, like it's, he, Jesus is describing the kind of life that flourishes in the kingdom. So what does that life look like? What kind of life flourishes underneath the kingship of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus. What kind of life flourishes there? And so far, he has described the kind of life that flourishes there as a heart and a life that reconciles, that doesn't hold judgment or grudges, as a heart that gives, prays, fasts, uh, doesn't divorce easily from your mate, uh, easily evaluates, uh, also evaluates your own heart issues, which drive anger, which he equates with murder. Which, what are our heart issues that drive lust, which he equates with adultery? What are the things that are driving our worry and anxiety? Truly, it is a distrust of our Father's care. For after all, consider the lilies, consider the sparrows. As a result of the life which flourishes underneath the kingship of Jesus... Um, and and, and, a, and a, a heart to desire to be aligned underneath his reign and rule over our lives, I find myself asking the question, particularly this week, what kind of community, what kind of community does this kind of people create where we can flourish as a whole? See, in America, we think most of these commands are individualistic. We even just saying about like, I will build my life upon the rock. But we, the whole point of the Bible is we, collectively as a group of people, as a new people, a blood-bought people, not just person, people. You see, the New Testament is littered with one another's, love one another, bear with one another, show kindness to one another. And you can't live that life. You can't, you can't obey a lot of the New Testament without purposing to live inside of community, Christian kingdom community. What kind of community does the Sermon on the Mount begin to create as we get out of individualistic thought and now he starts to talk about how do we do this with one another. Of course it's been there all along throughout the sermon but today I am compelled to talk about this passage in such a way uh, about our community and about the kind of community that God wants to create here inside of the grove but before we do that, we have to kind of acknowledge a few things, don't we? We're in a unique season. Every week, we find new people that are starting to call the Grove home that are either uh, new to the area or, or, or new to our church for one reason or another, or we've seen people come back after a year, after being vaccinated and being COVID gone and all the things that are happening. Though many of us have been in this room since August, the growing number of voices that are singing in our chorus is growing from all kinds of different reasons. And we are, in a, we, we are really faced with a unique challenge. If you haven't felt this, let me invite you to what I am feeling as pastor and shepherd of, of, the, of the church here. That this is a unique challenge that many people are now having to re-engage the people that they said goodbye to without saying goodbye over a year ago. We're all getting reacquainted with one another all again. And whatever tendencies we had before COVID were only amplified during COVID. And then here's the thing about that is that we all watched each other get amplified online. 
for a year. Here's what I mean by that. If you um, have a high tolerance for risk, you dealt with COVID one particular way. If you have a high aversion for risk, you dealt with COVID one particular way. Now, where we get twisted is when we take those differences and say, I'm a person that has uh, a low aversion for risk. I can handle risk. I look at my brother and my sister, and I judge them for not doing it the way I did it. And so we've been online, and we've been watching one another, and we've been, dare I say, judging one another. Me too. I've judged some of y'all. All of y'all. How about that? Let's get more, let's get more specific. Okay. We are tempted to not only judge our brother and sister, though, but to condemn them. And that's where we're in trouble. See, that's, this, that's where we're at. If you, if, you haven't, if, you haven't, if you haven't kind of just thought about where we're at, that's where we are. And that's where we'll be probably until August. Until everybody gets their chance to either get vaccinated or not, that's kind of, we're still dancing this line of what do we do? How do we do this? This morning, some, a couple walked in, and I didn't even know how to greet them. I shook one hand and hugged another, fist bumped another. I don't know what we're doing. I can't figure it out. I get confused with greetings, for crying out loud. That was not our world a year and a half ago. We knew what to do. We shook hands. Now we're fist bump, elbow bump, we're blinking. I don't even know what to do. <laughs> it's a weird world we're in, and yet this is our world. And so my question for you, as we enter into one of the most difficult passages, really, in Matthew... Uh, at least the Sermon on the Mount, is how will you respond with those with whom you disagree? You see, you've seen them have their opinions online about masks, about racial injustice, about politics, about conspiracies, on and on. And I was left after studying this week, how are we going to respond when we sit in neighborhood group with people that we don't like? that we've chosen to judge over the last 12, 13, 14 months. What are we going to do? How do we do this? Well, the good news is, is that Jesus is going to show us the way today. But I want to talk about four threats to kingdom community that he's going to unpack for us today out of Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Threat number one. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is one that's going to take some unpacking. So hang with me. We're going to be in number one for a while, and then we're going to go two, three, four. So number one, threat number one, critical spirit. A critical and condemning spirit is threat number one to a community which flourishes underneath Jesus' kingship. And let me read just one little bit at a time. Judge not that you be not judged. Now I can tell you right now, I fail at this. I love what Aaron uh, just prayed because I was on the softball field yesterday trying to get kicked out of the game. That's not, that's not Jesus. I don't, I don't think he's, maybe, I don't know, we'll see. He was in the temple, and he was trying to get kicked out of there, so who knows? But I'm not him. Definitely not him. Thank you. I'm not going to, yeah, all right. That should be obvious. That's obvious to you all. Apparently not obvious to me. Jesus' words, judge not that you be not judged. If you don't know this, the most popular verse in America used to be John 3.16, and yet now this is probably the most quoted verse, Matthew 7. Oh, you, you can't judge me. Your own Savior said not to judge me. And we usually say it as a defense mechanism to kind of diffuse whatever it is and push, push away whoever it is that's maybe giving some constructive criticism. That's, that feels judgmental. Okay. But did Jesus give a, a blanket prohibition to all judgment? Because I think that's where our society wants us to go. We can't have opinions. We can't have judgments. We can't say what's wrong or what's right anymore without being labeled some sort of uh, person that's a scared 
of that particular group, right? And so we're in this, again, not just in this room and in this church and in the Christian community, but in the world at large. We're being pressured to be silent about differences that we have with one another. And therefore, opinions or strong standing opinions just get either silenced or they get shaved away over time. And Jesus is not saying, I will be very clear, he is not saying that we should not make judgments over what's right and wrong, what's true, and what's false. There is no blanket prohibition here. If there is, we have some major issues. Let me unpack a few of those issues. You see, in later on in this chapter, Jesus says, beware of the false teachers. How can you beware of false teachers without judging them to be false? He would go on to say in John 7, 24, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Ah, so there is a judgment that we must have as believers. John 8, 44. You see, if Jesus is saying you can't judge at all, when he calls the Pharisees sons of the devil, he would be in sin. And he does say that in John 8, 44. You can go back it up. You are, you are of your father, the devil. Oh, it's no wonder they wanted to kill him. In Matthew 18, he says that we have church discipline or church restoration, as we've tried to call it, based on sins that if your brother sins against you. How are you determined if your brother or sister sins if there's not a judgment call based on God's word? But perhaps you think to yourself, well, that's just Jesus talking. He's allowed to do things. He's allowed to make judgments. He's God in the flesh. And I would say, yes, that's true. But he's not the only one that talks about judgment, especially for those that belong to the household of God. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 5. I believe this one will come up behind you. Verse 11 through 13. Listen to this, y'all. Y'all want to see how, um, how serious God takes some things. Let's just listen. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or as a reviler, that's a critical person, or a drunkard, don't even associate, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. You gotta, if you're going to do that, you have to make judgments. You're going to obey Jesus, you have to make some judgments. Look what he continues to say. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? This isn't a, a thing that has to do with outsiders, those that are outside the faith. This has something to do with insiders. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Now you want to talk about what God cares about the holiness of his community. He is calling for, he cannot be just blanket, don't, be ju- don't, don't, don't make any judgments. He is saying you cannot be judgmental and therefore not condemnatory towards a brother or sister. See, it's one thing to say, hey, brother, that's wrong. Hey, sister, that's wrong. It's another thing to say, and God's going to get you for it. Or we say that's wrong with a God's going to get you for it heart. And we condemn our brothers and sisters. It's one thing to say you're wrong. It's another thing to say you are condemned because you did X, Y, or Z. And dare I say, this is where many of us, me included, failed the test of COVID. We saw each other's uses of masks or lack of masks and condemned our brothers and sisters because they didn't share our opinion. Maskers called non-maskers irresponsible for failing our public health care system. Right? 
and anti-maskers called maskers fearful and responsible for our economic struggles. Neither was right. Therefore, neither was wrong. But we get entrenched in a position where we judge and condemn another because they do not see the world the way that we see the world. You put a six in front of someone and you ask them which one is it, is a six or a nine. It is a matter of which side of the table you are on. And that's very much how we see these issues. But we've not seen them. We've gone, it's a nine, and I can see it. And you give no room for another's perspective on what the digit is. See, this is a threat to our community because critical spirits come from pharisaical hearts. And pharisaical hearts are are when we expect way too much of humans and not nearly enough from God. So I want to see, I want you to just kind of journey with me here into this long quote that I have from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was killed for his beliefs in a concentration camp in World War II. Unbelievable author. If you've never read Life Together, this is a quote from it. Take heed. If you want to know what, what, this is a beautiful picture about thinking too much about humanity, thinking too much about our hopes being fulfilled in our neighborhood groups. These people aren't supposed to disappoint me. These people are God's people. All right. Let's hear what Dietrich Bonhoeffer has to say. He says this, God hates visionary dreaming. Okay. Well, good thing you're just going to ease us into that one, Dietrich. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God. This is all us right here. By others and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands or hers, sets up his own laws and judges the brethren and the sistren and God himself accordingly. He stands adamant. A living reproach to all others in the circle of the brethren. He acts as if he is the creator of the Christian community. As if his dream binds men together. When things do not go his way, he calls their effort a failure. When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community going to smash. So he becomes first an accuser accuser of his brethren. Then an accuser of God. And finally, the despairing accuser of God of himself. You see, this is what a critical spirit produces, someone who condemns brethren and sistren, therefore then condemns God for not fixing either the brethren or the sistren fast enough or quick enough or whatever according to what standard, and then finally you fall into despair because you can't really ever experience this, and you judge yourself for seeing things unclearly. In verse 1 and 2, Jesus warns us that God will judge you according to the same measure that you have used to judge others. And I assure you that God's judgment is based on your standards is a whole lot worse than your judgment based on the standard of others. Romans 2 would say this, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself. For condemning another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, Practice the same things. It's no wonder that Jesus will say for the very first time and only time in Matthew that he calls a believer a hypocrite, a disciple a hypocrite. Before, it was reserved for the Pharisees, and now he knows this same spirit will be inside of his community. 
And he turns and he says, you also are a hypocrite if you do these things. Threat number one, criticism. A condemnatory heart. You, we cannot thrive if we're criticizing and, contem- and condemning one another. We, th- we must, though, judge one another. And we'll get to that one in a minute. In order to get there, threat number two is a lack of self-awareness. A lack of self-awareness or repentance. Those two things go hand in hand. Look at what he says in verses 3 and 4. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, he says in verse 5. So two things here that Jesus is saying that we need to understand so that we don't become judgmental, critical, and condemning of our brothers and sisters. Number one, we lose, the first thing that we lose when we become critical is that we lose perspective. We see the speck. Do you see the language that Jesus is using here? We see the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't consider, I want you to think about that, you have to consider something. You don't just notice it, you consider it. The log in your own eye. This is absurd, intentional language that's hyperbolic to get the attention of his audience. He is getting us to notice what our nature is like and why it's threatening the community. We minimize our own sins. If you're married, you know what this looks like. We minimize our own sins and we maximize the sins of another. Right? When you're in an argument, you're, you're not, you don't go, well, I always let you down. You do go, you always let me down. You always do this. You never do that. But we don't ever say that about ourselves. Well, I always do this and I never do that. Unless it's something really good. What are you talking about? I always care for you. No, you don't. Just, just sit down over there. We say, I only, my sin is just a little bitty sin. It's a peccadillo. But you, you always do these things. I only... And you always. We do this. You know this. And you can see it seeping out. If you do it in your marriage, you're going to do it in your group. You're going to do it in your group. You're going to do it in the church. You're going to do it in the church. You're going to do it outside the church in your workplace. And your work friends know. Because you're with them a lot. We lose perspective. But the second thing that we lose when we become judgmental is we lose priority. What does Jesus say right there in, uh, in verse 5? You hypocrite first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your your brother's eye. So look, here's the deal, right? This is how absurd this is. I want to just bring this out. You remember the phylactery that Josue put on his head? Okay, you're going to remember this too, hopefully. Hey, brother. (laughs) Hey, sister. See that little speck over there? Now, notice, I can't get close to you either. Now, Jesus is using a word here that would would indicate a 40-foot beam. That's probably me to, me to Kobe, right? I mean, hey, Kobe, so raise your hand. Hey, hey, buddy, right? Might be that long. So, hey, I see your sin over there, and I think you need to deal with it. That's how absurd it is. This was just in my backyard. I didn't go by this, so that's fun. It's Moses' thing. I don't know what it is, but there it is. It's great for today, though. It is absurd to think that we would live inside of a community where we have logs coming out of our own eye and see the speck in our brother and sister's eye. It's absurd. That's what he's trying to get you to see, how ridiculous that kind of life is. And yet that's in all of our nature, is it not? 
we should all be saying, yes, amen. It is all in our nature. Absolutely. If you don't, let's, let's talk after. If you don't think that's you, I'll convince you <laughs> by the Spirit's power. Instead of leading with the sins of another, God is calling to remember the severity of our own sin if we are to rush to judgment or condemn our brother. Instead, Jesus reminds us of the importance of being a repentant people. You remember his first commands in Mark chapter 1. Repent and believe. Change your mind about how good you think you are and believe in the good news of the kingdom of God. Repent. And believe we are to be a people that are marked with repentance because when we are marked with repentance. The fruit of repentance is humility. And then we can go to our brother or our sister and go, hey, brother and sister, I've already removed the log. You can see I can come close to you. And now we can need to talk. But I wonder how would it change our community if instead of being quick to notice the flaws of others, we were reminded how we ourselves are riddled with the same flaws. How would it change the conversation between two friends over how one has hurt another if first you remembered how you have so wounded Jesus? You see, it levels the playing field in regards to relationships, and we can no longer have power plays with one another. Instead, we're all forgiven sinners by the blood of Jesus And we all have a responsibility to one another to treat each other with kindness. But also, threat number three, not ignore the sins of our brothers and sisters. Because the priority is there. The perspective now is there. First, O hypocrite, deal with the log in your own eye. And then deal with the speck in your brother and your sister's eye. You see, there is a priority to this. And we must be a people that don't just stop at step one. We're evaluating step one to have the conversation, which is step two. Jesus doesn't say pay attention to your own sin and forget about theirs. After all, they're not hurting anybody. Yeah, they're addicted to that. Yeah, they're peeking at things they shouldn't peek at, but they're not hurting anybody. Well, they just told you in your growth group. And you can't just look at them and go, oh, man, well, like Jesus loves you. That's true. Also, let's get a better and deeper understanding of the gospel. That Jesus so loves you, he doesn't want that for you. Jesus so loves you that he paid the price for you and and, and redeems you from that kind of slavery and sin. And the life that flourishes in the kingdom doesn't involve that. It involves deeper trust for all that he's provided in X, Y, or Z. And so we must be a people that don't ignore the sins of others. There is still a priority here on getting the dirt out of your brother or sister's eye. You all know what this feels like. Happened to me yesterday on the baseball and softball field, even though I had sunglasses on. There's a little speck of dirt that gets in there, and you can't concentrate, right? And you start, you start winking that eye a little bit. And, you just, you, and all of a sudden, whatever task is before you, the smallest little speck deters you from whatever task that's before you. Now, y'all get that now. The smallest little speck deters you from whatever task is before you in the kingdom. And don't we need our brother and our sister to have dealt with their own sin and come to us and say, you all right? Can I help you with what's going on in your eye right now? Or we get to the point, we become so desperate that we ask our friend or our whomever to go, I got something in my eye right now, is an eyelash or something in there? Can you help brother out? And they get close, don't they? COVID or no COVID, they're in your space. They have to get close for that kind of examination to see if there's a little tiny speck in your eye. 
This is the kind of community that God is calling us towards, not to ignore sin, but to care for another's soul while we sin, after we've sinned, before. We need this kind of care. Jesus knows how essential this kind of gentle but intentional care of one another is for our soul, even to the smallest speck. Now, if I told you I was also holding a speck up here, here, you would go, number one, you're a liar. I just saw you do this. But number two, you also couldn't prove it because it's so small. It is very small, and that's the point, is that the, the perspective that God is giving us, the priority that God is giving us, is to be able to understand that needs to be dealt with so that we can deal with this. See, if we ignore the sins of others, we do them a disservice, and we must look deeper into our own hearts as to why we will not enter into that kind of conversation. What is the disservice, you may say, that we're doing with other people? The other person is in your life in this season for a reason, and God, being the ordainer of all things, has so put this person into your neighborhood group, and so has put you in that neighborhood group to maybe not like each other so that you can encourage one another, sharpen one another, encourage one another that Jesus dying for us is way more important than whatever disagreement that we may have. So let's be unified underneath the blood of Jesus, follow him on his mission to make disciples, and put aside these childish, childish disagreements. The disservice here, the hard work of identifying how you do the same thing as the other person, how you have offended Jesus in similar manners, and then bringing up the speck in a brother's eye is a humbling process. And isn't that the point? Isn't that the point, to become more like Jesus? And we can't do that without repentance and confession, which bear the fruit of humility. That's the whole point of community, of maturity and humility. If you cannot do this, if you can't have this conversation, let me invite you into a harder conversation. And this is where I'm going to pick a little speck out of your eye here. If you cannot have a conversation that's difficult and hard but necessary, May I invite you to to just examine the idol of acceptance that you may be serving. That you are so uh, afraid of rejection by another that you will not bring up something very difficult. That is called idolatry. And it's an an idol of acceptance that I will not obey God in this to, to, yes, deal with the speck in a brother or sister's eye. I I I don't care if I obey you. So you would rather deal with the acceptance or rejection of people rather than deal with the acceptance or rejection of God who's calling you to do this. That's an idol of acceptance, an idol of rejection. And I would say this, like this threatens our community if we don't deal with these things because we will settle for a really nice group of people. And I'll just be candid, I've been doing this long enough, I've led enough groups, I've been a pastor long enough like way long enough, I can't, I can't do a nice group of people. I have that. I have that all over the place. I need to have life-transforming people that will speak into my life and say, hey, you were a jerk out there at the softball field yesterday. Yeah, I know. Help me. You help me bring, me, bring accountability to my life. Or you weren't a jerk, and this is why I agree with you, and uh, I much prefer that conversation, by the way. Uh, this is why I agree with you, et cetera, et cetera. But the the whole point is there. we need a mirror to see what's in our own eyes because we can't see it. We're too busy blinking, trying to get it out ourselves. We will settle for a really nice group of people who all get along and share an interest and forfeit the kind of life-changing, Jesus-forming, repentance-embracing life which Jesus actually paid to give us. 
That's what makes the Christian community different is when we can admit to one another our failures and be cool with it because my life and my identity isn't based on your acceptance. It's based on the acceptance that I have with my Father purchased by the blood of Jesus. And we should all say amen to that. But we can just be free to be wrong. So if we speak to the specks in our brother or sister's eye, it forces us to face our own shortcomings, does it not? Bringing repentance. It causes us to stare down our idols of approval or rejection, which again trains us in repentance. And then it trains the other person to be kinder representative of Jesus. And that's what the world needs. The world will know that I love you or that you are my people if you love like I have loved you. And much like in a car that has blind spots, we have our own blind spots that will only be revealed by a mirror. You're the mirror. I'm the mirror. We desperately need it. It's how God created us. That's threat number three. If you're tracking at home, threat number one was a critical spirit. Uh, Threat number two was a lack of repentance. Threat number three was ignoring the sins of others. And then now threat number four, a lack of discernment. Too many times we are quick to accept everybody into the inner circle, and Jesus is going to warn against them. Remember the absurdity of the language that he used with this log right here? He's going to continue on with some absurd absurd language to get your attention, and then we're done. Okay, I know we're past 11 o'clock, but we're going to be all right. Look at verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now again, if God is putting a blanket prohibition on judgment, he's also now calling people dogs and pigs. Okay, so he's not just doing that. He's instead using absurd language to help us understand, and it would have been definitely understandable for his first century Jewish audience to understand. He's talking about outsiders here. Dogs were commonly referred to as the Gentiles. Pigs were off the menu for Jews. You see this throughout the rest of Matthew. We don't have time to go through it, but that's his point. He's using like hyperbolic language to help us understand we cannot make the same judgments that we make for outsiders as we do for insiders. Jesus is using language here to help us understand. In other words, outsiders or non-believers aren't going to take these pearls, the desire for spiritual purity and maturity of, of another, and value it. Instead, they'll turn it on you and wound you with it. It may be also a valid indicator that those who do not treasure the kind of community that God calls us to create and live in, if those that do not treasure that may be a great indicator that they're not actually insiders. I mean, if someone can't repent over a basic sin, there's a gap there in their understanding of the good news and the grace of God. You see, if we improperly discern those with whom we are in community, we will expect too much of non-believers. And I don't know about you, but I'm watching the, the second season of Chosen. Anybody else? Yeah, come on. Dude, I'm, I'm like almost in tears every time I watch The Chosen. It's not on Netflix. It's not on Prime. They got their own little app. I don't know why they do it this way, but they do. Uh, they got their own little app. Download it. Watch season one. Then watch it again. And then go to season two. Because the first episode came out on Easter. And I watched it last night. And Jesus, in, in The Chosen, Jesus looks at a non-believer who looks at him and says, I will not follow you. And he says, I understand. Thank you for your honesty. And then he says this, I ask a lot of those who follow me, but I ask a little of those who do not. You see, that 
is a great indicator and a great example of the kind of discernment that we need to have. Are they insiders? Then we need to ask them a lot, of a lot. Repentance, confession, pointing out specks, receiving the pointing out of specks. But if they're not a believer, point them to Jesus. Remember early on in the Grove, we had uh, someone who was, who, well, I'll say this. We had a homosexual in our neighborhood group. And I remember inviting him uh, from Starbucks. If you know our story at Starbu- uh, of as a church, that's where we started. That's like where I started the church, out of our living room and Starbucks. And I remember inviting him into our neighborhood group and, and, and that person sitting in our neighborhood group and being amongst us for one night. And I remember after that night, someone coming up to me and me going, so what are you going to do with that? What am I going to do with that? What am I going to do with him? I'm going to love him. What are you talking about? I'm going to bring him close. I'm going to invite him into the good news, into the kingdom of God, that God wants something totally different and better for him than what he may see. That there's a deeper reservoir of trust there for him that he may never understand. And I can't call him to any repentance over sin without first calling him to trust in Jesus. See, that's where we go off. We start getting all these other things and realize, you know what? I can't expect those things from pigs or dogs. And we're not here to call them pigs or dogs, but we are here to discern outsiders are insiders. If they're not a believer, there's no spirit in them, they're not going to repent over sin. So we invite them to trust in Jesus. But for, for believers, those within the family, we point out specks. We invite them to holy living because we know that's the kind of life that Jesus calls flourishing. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Help us. We can't do any of this without you. This is all just words on a page, but instead, you've so appointed us to believe these things, live in these things, be challenged by these things. And I pray, Lord, that we would continue to be challenged and encouraged by the people of God. Lord, don't let us back down from this kind of living. Let us fumble into the failure that comes with doing this wrong. You see, that's the other thing is this performance. We've got to do it right. We're going to do it wrong. And the only way to do it right is to do it wrong about a thousand times. Lord, give us the grace to do it wrong for a while. Put, the grace, put your grace in the heart of all of us at the Grove and anybody that would want to call any church home Put the grace of of God inside of our hearts so that we can bear with one another's failings, weaknesses, difficulties to hash this kind of life out. Because in this kind of life, we will flourish. And I pray, Lord, for those that don't know if they're in or out. I pray, Lord, that don't don't know if, if they're in our neighborhood or in this room. If they don't know where they stand with you, Lord, bring unbelievable clarity to their heart by your Spirit, even in this moment. So, Holy Spirit... Do your work in our hearts. For believers, refine us. For non-believers, cut us to the heart. Cause us to repent. Cause us to believe in the God who raises the dead, who will never give up on us. Oh, Lord, thank you for not leaving us in judgment or condemnation. Thank you for forgiving us and your son Jesus, freeing us from the darkness, freeing us from condemnation, freeing us from shame forever and ever. What good news we have in Jesus. Amen.